Welcome to Wrestling with Scripture. I'm the Reverend Dr. Clay Brown. I'm the Associate Pastor for Equipping Ministries here at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. And joining me is Lorian Hook, who's the Administrative Coordinator for Equipping Ministries. She's also a master's student at Fuller Seminary of Houston and in my estimation, a future PhD student. <laughs> and she also has a degree in biblical languages. So she is uh, quite the student in terms of uh, scripture. And, and together we are talking about uh, one of the questions that uh, one of our uh, w- one of our participants has uh, submitted for us to, to answer and attempt to deal with about the scripture. And it's it's Maybe the most specific one that gets yeah. dealt with on this podcast. Would you agree with that, Laurie? Absolutely. It's, I mean, down to the nuts and bolts of what's going on in a very particular verse in a very uh, complicated book. So. Okay. It comes from Romans. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 4, and it's about a particular phrase. And the phrase is, in the questioner's uh, use of it, the righteousness of the law. Now, one of the things we note about that phrase is that it's listed that way only in, as I reverently describe it, the King Jimmy or the King James. Most reverently. (laughs) So uh, uh, how is that rendered in just about all the other major translations, Lorian? Sure. So for example, uh, the NASB, it renders it the requirement of the law. Uh, some of the other more modern translations say the just requirement of the law. So more leaning towards the word requirement as opposed to the word righteousness of the law. My favorite translation is the English Standard Version, and it calls it the righteous requirement of the law. And so uh, there's that, that answers part of the question, I think, of sure. what's being uh, dealt with here. Uh, and that term law can mean a lot of things as well, I think. You wonder if they're talking about the moral law of God, as in mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments. You wonder if people are asking about the ceremonial law, you know, all the dietary laws and the sacrificial laws of the Old Testament and all those kinds of things. So if we went down that pathway, that would be something that while uh, I'm a bit of a theology wonk, and Lorian is a bit of a theology wonk, and there may be two others out there who are <laughs> theology wonks, and the, the four of us could meet at Denny's, and I'd order the Grand Slam breakfast, I think, and we'd meet and talk about all of this. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great, but I'm not sure how helpful it'd be t- uh, to the rest of us out there. So uh, we want to talk about uh, what that righteous requirement of the law is really getting that in terms of Romans as a whole. So uh, the idea is that Jesus has met the righteous requirement of the law. Uh, Lorian, can you shed some light here on why that's such a big deal? Sure. So what we have, like we just kind of unpacked a little bit here, is that in Romans 8, uh, let's. I want to take it back to Romans eight one because verse four falls in, of course, falls in this broader context of what's happening in this chapter. So if we take it back to Romans eight one, the text tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So this work that Christ has done, this righteousness 
that Christ exhibited in this this requirement of the law that he met results ultimately in in a couple of things, two of which are listed in the beginning of chapter 8. One, there's now no condemnation, and two, because we have no condemnation, we are now free. Uh, so there's there's a beauty taking place here, and it oftentimes I feel like when we when we come to the book of Romans, it can be most certainly a very intimidating text. Um, there's a lot of difficult theological things happening. Paul's using some really strange phrases. However, as we see this thread unpack through Romans, especially in chapter eight, we are we begin to see that that the fact that there's no condemnation and that there's freedom really is what Paul is getting at when he's talking about the law being satisfied and the law um, being taken care of in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and the marvelous thing about it is that it is Jesus who is taking care of that righteous requirement of the law. Exactly. It's, it's not something that we do, is it? I mean, we don't. we're not all of a sudden, we've become really good people and we're satisfying that requirement in ourselves. No, it's Jesus who's satisfying it and because uh, we can't. And in fact, that's that's a theme that plays itself out in Romans Absolutely. from beginning to end, I think. Uh, when you look at what I like to call the thesis statement of the book of Romans, when you look at uh, verse 16, it's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What's that talking about? That's talking about that Jesus Christ is the one who meets that, who makes that happen, because he it fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. And then as you get into Romans in the first few chapters that uh, Paul is describing the depth of the human predicament and why we need such a gracious gospel, that's why we need that gospel, why we need Jesus to meet that righteous requirement. Yes. Lorian, what else would you add to what I've said? Sure. So one of my favorite things that we see through Romans, and again, like I said earlier, I think sometimes we come to Romans and it can be so intimidating because it's a big book and there's a lot going on in it. Um, I think, however, one of the things that we sometimes miss when we study Romans is the role that love plays throughout the whole book. I want to just very quickly point out four verses. Uh, Romans 1-7, this is Paul's opening address to the church in Rome, and he addresses them in verse 7 as people who are beloved of God and called as saints. So we're starting the very at the very beginning of this book as people who are beloved of God. And then he carries that on, Romans 5, 5, and it talks about the love of God. And it says, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. And then, of course, Romans 8 brings us to that, that just wonderful, resounding comfort that we receive as Christians where it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Again, Christ Jesus is the one who is accomplishing these things on our behalf. And then as we get towards the end of the book in Romans 13, love, love comes up again where Paul says to love one another, love one another. And so I think that Again, we are shown through Christ Jesus our Lord what that looks like. Just as he fulfilled the requirements of the law, his fulfilling of the law then also turned into him showing us how to live. And that that life that we now live in Christ is demonstrated and affected by love. You know, one of the my favorite parts of the book of Romans is in chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul removes the facade 
and shows us uh, the real person within. And he describes himself uh, not as the super apostle who's brought Christianity to the world, but as a person who is subject to the same frailties and failings and struggles that we all face every day. He's the kind of person who he, he doesn't do what he knows he needs to do. He does what he knows he shouldn't do. And he's in that trap and he can't get out of it. And the only way he, he's looking for a way out of it. And the only way he can get out of it is through Jesus Christ. And he says, thank God for Jesus Christ, the, the way out. And that's what then leads him to say, therefore, there is no condemnation because Christ has fulfilled the righteous, righteous requirement of the law. So that's, mar- that's a marvelous expression of this whole idea of God's grace working at us there. And then in Romans, as he, as he gets into chapter 12 and, and following toward the, the latter part of the book, you know, how do you live now that you know this? Uh, and he, he talks about not being conformed to the lifestyle of this world, mm-hmm. but instead being transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind. He then jumps to how you love people, as, as you so aptly mentioned a moment ago, that we are freed to love one another because Jesus has fulfilled this requirement. We're no longer trying to just earn our way into God's favor. We're no longer trying to, to uh, you know, check off the things on a list of, okay, this is what we have to do for God to love us. Uh, this is what we have to do to satisfy the requirements of the law. Because if that, if that were the case, we'd be in big trouble, wouldn't it? Uh, my, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and in Mere Christianity, Lewis makes the point as he's talking about the reality of the law, that we all know the, there is a law out there, the, the very thing that tells us that if someone cuts in front of us in line <laughs> while we're getting tickets for a movie, we know that's wrong. There's something inherently wrong with that, that when we know there's a law, we also come to realize there's a lawgiver. And if there's a lawgiver, the lawgiver is probably not all that pleased with the way we've been handling the law. Well, if that's the case, then our efforts to just try and, and meet the requirements of that law, the righteous requirements of that law, will always fall short. So the, it's praise God that we don't have to do that. Absolutely. That, that Jesus has done that on our behalf. Mm. Now, uh, we may be ready to move to the to the point of now that we know this, what do we do? Yeah, you know, it's good good theology. We've been it's a wonderful theological discussion, but it's always appropriate to to think. All right, now that I know this, what happens? Mm. Uh, how does this change how I live? How does this impact what I do? What are the implications sure. for my life? I know you brought up a great metaphor earlier that of freedom. Yeah that we are free. And, and so what's one thing we are free to do now because Jesus Christ has met the righteous requirement of the law? Yeah. Uh, I think that Paul kind of in, at the very end in chapter 16, he sums up one of the things we're now free to do. Uh, and that's, he says in 
towards the end in verses 25 through 27, he's, ex- he's explaining that because of, of Jesus and because of what Jesus has done, uh, God has now been and is now able to be made known to all of the nations. And this leads to obedience of faith. And so we are now free because we're no longer bound by the law. We're no longer held back. We're now free to boldly go and proclaim Christ among all of the nations. And that could be the person who lives next door to you. That could mean that you go across the world. It, it looks different for different people, but our, our freedom now leads us into obedience and it leads us into service of other people. And I know that sometimes that sounds like a backward way of, of experiencing freedom that we're now doing, that we're now living something out. We're now working towards a common goal, but there's great freedom in the spirit. There's great freedom knowing that we're no longer bound by the law. We're free from the law and we're alive in Christ. And so we are now free to go and do all of these things that we're invited to do in the kingdom of God. And it brings us joy and it brings us, and it brings God glory and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. Um, And we're reminded in Romans 11 of, of why this is such a good thing and why this is so important. Romans 11, 36 tells us, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory. And our freedom invites us into that story that's bigger than we are. And it, it invites us to become truly human and truly alive in Christ. Yeah, one of the amazing things about this freedom is that we're not only free from something, exactly. but we are free for mm-hmm. something. And what, what we're free from is the penalty of not being able to handle all the requirements of the law. We are, we are freed from the penalty of sin and death, but we're freed for service to God. In service to others, and, and that's an amazing. We don't off, don't often think of freedom in that way in this day and age. We kind of think of freedom to do whatever we want. Yeah, and, you know, it's sort of this autonomy that we're able to to just do whatever we want to whenever we want to do it. But it's a freedom that's channeled in the right direction, uh, the way it's uh, at least described in the scriptures. Uh, I like the way Paul describes this freedom to do what God wants us to do as he begins to unpack in, in chapter 12 what it means to love mm. people. Uh, it, it's, it, he says, it, beginning in verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil, hold fast to what's good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and work to show hospitality. And then he says in verse 14 something that just slaps me up the side of the head. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I I tell Mm -hmm. you, I cannot do that in my own ability. I can't. I mean, I can't either. I know you probably assumed that I could. But. Well, that's what I, I really had you down, Lorian, <laughs> on that list of people who could just really do all this without <laughs> needing any help at all. Yeah. But no, you're exactly right. We can't do that. We can't do that on our own. And and so it's because Jesus has taken care of this and has fulfilled those requirements and freed us from those requirements that we are able to do something like blessing those who are being hateful to us and showing them love. And you look a little further in this passage in chapter 12. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Oh, my goodness. That's not what I want to do with my enemies. You know, I, I want to abuse my enemies. But 
the Christian way is to love your enemy. Yeah, absolutely. I can't think of anything more countercultural than that. And that's something that, you know, you think that's just uh, applying in the first century world? That's a very 21st century uh, application, I think. I got somebody at work who is just giving me trouble <laughs> and, and just making it very difficult for me to go day, day to day. I am not freed to hate that person. Instead, I am, I am called to love that person and then given the power to love that person and to work for that person's betterment, even though that person is persecuting me in a sense. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's an amazing gospel, mm. uh, amazing good news. How else are we free? Is there anything else you want to add to this? I mean, I think, I think you just hit the nail on the head just expressing this idea of, of enemy love and of being free to something else. We're, we're not only freed from, but we're freed for and we're freed to a purpose. And that purpose is bigger than us, which gives us joy and life. Uh, and we get to experience Christ and the Spirit even, even more uh, when we walk in those ways. Um, so maybe if you want to sum up kind of just in a couple sentences what we said about the whole righteous thing and righteousness and requirement, and then... Uh, I'll give it a shot. Go for it. What we're talking about in chapter 8 of Romans, which is really a hinge chapter of that whole book in many ways, is that Jesus Christ has met the righteous requirements of God's law on our behalf. And because of that, we have no condemnation before God as we trust Jesus Christ by faith and we follow him as Lord. We can't earn that favor. We 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 don't ever deserve that favor. I hope we never come to God and say, God, give me what I deserve. If I ever hear you saying that, Lorian, or anyone else, I'll step a couple of steps to (laughs) the side because I'm waiting for you to burst into into flame, some sort of spontaneous combustion to happen. So, no, I don't want what I deserve. Gosh, I want grace. I need grace. And that's what God supplies through Jesus meeting that righteous requirement, that just requirement of the law on my behalf. And so I'm freed. We are freed to serve in ways that we could have never imagined before by God's grace, in ways that run completely counter to what we as human beings would naturally think to do and would be naturally inclined. That old way of I do what I don't want to do and I all of those struggles, well, yeah, we still have the struggles, but they become less and less because as we are empowered by God and His Spirit within us, we're able to live lives that have some authenticity to them and allow us to show the love of Christ to others and to experience that love within ourselves. That's, I think, in a nutshell what this verse is talking about. It's the it's in many ways the theme of Romans writ large throughout the whole book. Yeah. And if I can make a shameless plug Go as we it. bring this podca- podcast to a close here, uh, if you like Romans, if you liked what we were talking about here for just a little bit, have I got a deal for you. <laughs> Beginning August the 19th, that Sunday, at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, we are beginning a Sunday morning emphasis on the book of Romans. 
We will be studying Romans together as a congregation, all of our adult Sunday morning classes, and many other classes besides on weekday evenings, some Wednesday evenings, other times, going through the book of Romans verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, beginning to end, because it is God's marvelous letter to us about the theology of how God wants to communicate with us. It's, this isn't a theology class. It's a biblical uh, study. But in many ways, here's God's greatest theological communication to us through the New Testament. And it's part of a three-year uh, focus we're going to have. After we finish with Romans, the next year, we're going to tackle the Gospel of Luke. And then we'll look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And I can't help but think that in three years after we've looked at Romans, after we've looked at Luke, and after we've looked at Acts, man, are we going to be different. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit's yes. going to transform us, and we're just going to be a different church and, and different people who've been in many ways made new by the, the presence of God. That's exciting to me. Yeah. So you're invited uh, to come and be part of our study Romans. Again, it begins on August the 19th, Sunday mornings. We'll have classes during all of our Sunday morning class times. Many ways for you to, to plug in and get involved. Uh, not talking about something that needs homework and all of that. Just, just come and, and walk through Romans with us. It'll be fun. I promise you. We'll have a great time. Well, thank you for being with us as we have uh, wrestled with this part of Scripture. We hope, uh, Lorraine and I hope, we've shed a little bit of light on it for you. And, of course, if you have questions about it, don't talk to us. We've told you about <laughs> everything we know. No, in all seriousness, please contact us at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. We'd love to be helpful in any way we can. Yeah. All right. Well, for Lorraine Hook and myself, Clay Brown, thank you very much and God bless. God bless.